Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 January films in today's episode. What's this? What's this? The simply sensational standing ovation of Royal Dalton Musical. What is this? This is where you want to be. What is this? For those that haven't listened to a top 10 monthly films episode of mine before, this is the top 10 movies that I saw in January of 2019, not the top 10 released uh, films in January 19. But that makes uh, the, the array of films that much wider and covers that much more of a scope, uh, which is, in my opinion, uh, in very far more interesting, personally. And uh, I think, I don't know, I, I think it's fun. I, I think you get to dive deeper into the past, discover some old stuff. You know, I try to watch some movies from decades ago every week um, as often as I can. Uh, this period of, this time of year uh, in the November, December, January, and, and mostly most of February as well, uh, it's not as easy to to look as look backward as far when I'm trying to catch up on everything that I wasn't able to see in theaters this year, um, prepare for the Oscars and get all that done, and also kind of fill in any of the gaps of things I've been looking into for my own Circle of Film Awards. So there is a lot to um, to cover uh, as far as recent stuff. But that being said, uh, this year. I was able to catch some, or, or this past month, I was able to catch some old stuff in addition to, in, as, along with the new stuff. Some of the films in this, th this month's list I have talked about before. And uh, for that reason, I will <laughs> skip over some of them. Uh, not skip over, but you know, kind of blow through them faster than usual. Uh, and I think it's a few more this month than it generally would be otherwise. So I, I expect this episode to be one of the shorter episodes for the monthly top 10 list. Uh, that being said, uh, let's get right into it and uh, talk about my January top 10 films. Starting with number 10, uh, we head to... Well, uh, a short film. A short film. Uh, number 10. Make sure I have this right uh, here. And I'm not missing anything. No, okay. Number 10. I saw this January 22nd. It's only eight minutes long. Uh, it's technically a 2017 film, but it is a 2018 film for the Oscars. It is, it is nominated for Best animated short film this year. My summary, an elderly woman drifts back into her memories. I gave this film a 72. It does not have a Rotten Tomato score. And it is late afternoon. Late afternoon. And this is one of my two favorite shorts uh, in the animated category this year. Or one of my three. I guess I, guess I would extend that to three. Late afternoon, bow, and... Um, one Small Step are, are my three favorites, and I would be happy if any of them won the award. 
Late Afternoon, directed by Louise Bagnall. Uh, This is the only film she's directed, according to Letterboxd. Uh, It stars the voice talents of Fianula Flanagan, Lucy O'Connell, and Louise Bagnall herself as young Emily. Uh, The story follows uh, an elderly elderly woman named Emily, uh, and we see her in multiple variations as a child, as, as a younger woman. And it's it's very short it, it it's very to the point it's her this woman's uh attempt to kind of connect with her memories is how i would describe it because she is uh interacted with by i think her caretaker caretaker or daughter i, I don't recall which i think daughter daughter i think Yes, because, and and she doesn't remember who her who this woman is, and then we kind of go back into her memories, and she's trying to kind of sift through everything that's ever happened to her to try to pinpoint what, who is in front of her, and and who this person is, and I thought that that was just the the way it's depicted and and the shambled messiness of memories that Bagnall shows us is is really fascinating and it's kind of how i imagine my own mind to look you know when i'm trying to remember something trying to remember a face attach a face to a name uh maybe not quite to the extent as someone uh far later in life with far more memories who already had who has trouble recalling things but yeah it, it feels pretty on the nose, and uh, it's suitably emotionally impacting, and uh, I, I really liked it. It was available online when I, I went to see it uh, back in about a couple of weeks ago in, in January. I don't know that it's still available online anymore, but uh, you can see it uh, in theaters in select areas this coming weekend. Uh, as part of the Animated Shorts uh, Oscar program. So that's late afternoon. Uh, I gave it a 72 uh, from 2017, nominated for Best Animated Short Film this year. Number nine is another short film, another Oscar-nominated short film. I saw this one January 19th, 2019. Uh, it's 16 minutes long. It's a 2018 film nominated for Best Live Action Short this year. My summary, two boys play a game trying to outdo each other. I gave this a 73. It has no Rotten Tomato score. It is directed by Jeremy Compte, uh, and it is the only film credit he is given as a director on Letterboxd. And the film is, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Fav. Uh, starring Felix Grenier, Alexander Perrault, Perrault, and Louise Bombardier. It's two boys who are kind of just out in the boondocks uh, trying to beat each other and outdo each other and, and one-up each other. And that's, I don't know, I, I think it's a fairly innocent game, but but... Anytime you're involved in something where this goal is to outdo somebody else, uh, you know, it's going to escalate to a point 
too far, you know? And that is all the more true when you're talking about kids, you know, whether it's uh, I can, you know, whether it's who can jump from the highest point, whether it's uh, who can, you know, who can who can lean over the edge of a hill, a cliff further, I don't know, maybe extreme examples. But suffice to say, I think a lot of kid, people as kids were in a situation like this at some point where it's like, well, I can do it this many times. I can do it that many times. I can eat, you know, I can eat, I can stuff 10 pretzel sticks into my mouth. I can do 20 and you just keep going and going. And a lot of those things are harmless, but some of them aren't. And Fav really gets into uh, whether, you know, what what the absolute highest stakes possible could be and uh, it is a pretty damning representation of childhood and unsupervised play as a kid uh, and, and and just the the performances by by the two kids I really really loved uh, one of them especially, you know, the, the emotions that cross his face are, are perfect. Uh, I don't remember which one it was. I think it's Felix Grenier who I, I mean. But I, I really had a great time. I really appreciated, rather, this film for uh, pull, not pulling any punches and, and really going the full distance with this premise and not stopping it short. I, I thought it did a really great job of that. So that's Fav, uh, nominated for Best Live Action Short Film at the Oscars this year. Uh, I gave it a 73, and uh, it's the only film in the category I've seen so far. I'll be seeing all of the films uh, sometime this weekend, I believe, once they, they release in a theater near me. So that's my number nine. Moving on to number eight. We go... Many, many, many years ago, long before I was born, to a, uh, a film I saw January 31st, just just getting this one in under the wire. Uh, it's 96 minutes long. It's from 1946. My summary, an investigator travels to Connecticut to find a Nazi. I gave this film a 74. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Orson Welles. It stars Edward G. Robinson, Loretta Young, Orson Welles, Philip Merivale, Richard Long, Constantine Shane, Byron Keith, and many others. And this film is The Stranger. Uh, not one that I was really aware of. Uh, it was nominated for Best Writing Original Story at the Oscars the year it was released. And I, I'm not the biggest... I'm not completely familiar with Orson Welles' filmography. You know, everyone knows Citizen Kane. I was familiar with Touch of Evil, uh, Lady from Shanghai, Magnificent Ambersons. I know he's done some films that I haven't seen yet. A lot of Shakespeare, Othello, Macbeth. Uh, Chimes at Midnight is another one I'm, I'm familiar with. But The Stranger was not. I didn't know um, that this was his film until you know I picked it out to watch. And I'm, I'm a fan. I, I really do like Orson Welles, both in front of and behind the camera. I think he does get a, 
his performances, I think, are very theatrical, which doesn't really stand the test of time as well as uh, some of the more um, nuanced and natural performances of the day. But uh, you can't deny that he he just has an absolute fascinating charisma and incredible screen presence, uh, regardless of, of how over-the-top and, and dramatic and, and stage performance he, he gets. In The Stranger... Uh, Orson Welles does play a uh, he, one of the many people involved with the Holocaust who has gone to great lengths to hide and mask his identity. He is being uh, he is tracked down by a former associate, one of the few people who does know who he is now that he has moved to Connecticut and made a new name for himself, and the. The man who finds him is being tracked by Edward G. Robinson, who is a federal agent. Now, one of the things I absolutely loved about this film was the fact that the 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 one hundred percent fact that Orson Welles is the the man they are looking for is upfront r- given to you immediately. This isn't. A film from Edward G. Robinson's point of view, where you're not sure, and you're tr- and you, the viewer, are trying to follow along with him. No, you you are told almost outright that he is the guy, and I think it, it really does play on that Hitchcockian sense of show the audience that there is a bomb under the table, and then the audience will be on edge until it goes off, knowing that it's going to go off, knowing that it's there. Don't just have the table blow up out of nowhere. You in, you add and induce so much dread, so much additional tension and, and, and drama to a scene by providing a little more information than you might be, uh, might expect to, to want to do. And I think that works really, really well with The Stranger. Knowing that uh, these this that this guy Orson Welles is this Nazi was had a big hand in the Holocaust and is being tracked by Edward G. Robinson and knowing that this this confrontation is going to happen and watching the pieces move on the on the board to get us to a position where well maybe Orson Welles is in the advantage well maybe Edward G. Robinson is in the advantage well maybe it's this maybe it's that. You know, how many people are going to go to bat for Orson Welles and, and help him and protect him when, when shit really hits the fan? On the other hand, you know, how many people are going to be swayed over and, and believe that this Nazi is a Nazi? You know, he's he's done a really great job of put, per, playing this normal guy who, you know, happens to like antique clocks. And... You know, it, it's a fun game of cat and mouse, uh, and and I, I had a really, really good time with it. I thought it, it did a really fantastic job as a thriller, as a suspense film, as a spy movie. Uh, it checked off a lot of the boxes for me. So, I really enjoyed The Stranger. Uh, I gave it a 74, and um, yeah, I, I think I, it just... 
I, I it makes me that much more interested in really seeing all of the films Orson Welles was was a part of. Uh, stuff like The Trial, Confidential Report, The Immortal Story, <clears throat> Too Much Johnson, um, and so on and so on. There's a huge list on Letterboxd of the films he directed, and I'm, and I'm guessing a lot more films uh, that he was a part of, that he was in front of, but not behind the camera for. So, The Stranger. That is my number eight from January. My number seven, this is a film I have already talked about. Uh, in the um, quick reactions episode I did. Uh, I saw it January 27th. It's 142 minutes, so two hours and 20 minutes long. It's a 2018 film. Uh, my summary, two young people travel the country on their way to get on their way to greatly affecting decisions in their lives. I gave it a 75. It currently has no score in Rotten Tomatoes. And that film is 303, directed by Hans Weingartner. Weingartner? Uh, starring Mala MD and Anton Spiker. I likened it to the Before series from Richard Linklater. I think it is a very, an, a very apt comparison. And it's, it's just, it's really charming and really sweet. It's, it's long, it's definitely too long, but I, I think it does a really good job of, of, diving into these two characters and giving us um, a lot to a lot to enjoy and and root for uh, about them so I won't I won't reiterate everything I already said about 303 just that I I really like it and I think if you like the before series if you like films with you know maybe two three characters in them it's a lot of conversation a lot of talking this is a good one it is in a foreign language but uh, if you don't mind reading it, it's a good one, definitely. So, my number seven from January is 303. Number six, is, I saw this January 26th, 2019. It's 82 minutes, quite short of a film. It is a 2018 film. My summary, two high school dropouts need to make rent money. I gave it a 76. It currently has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Augustine Frizzle. It's the only film of hers I've seen, but she also has a 2014 film called I Was a Teenage Girl. It stars Maya Mitchell, Camilla Marone, Kyle Mooney from SNL, Joel Allen, Kendall Smith, uh, and others. And it's never going back. Uh, I I called this a trashy, discombobulated film in my letterbox review, and I stand by that. I think it very much is trashy. It very much is discombobulated, but it is also incredibly fun. It's a the the the, the principal characters, Maya Mitchell and Camilla Morone, who play Angela and Jesse, are just so much fun to to spend eighty two minutes with. They're ridiculous plight uh is is i don't know a lot of schadenfreude is involved uh both of theirs and of the people around them there's this really bizarre uh side plot of a guy who breaks into their house steals their tv in front of them the two girls 
they have roommates that live with them, and that is part of the reason why they have their TV stolen. And then the guy who steals the TV become, later in the movie, is suddenly one of the best friends of one of the girl's brothers. And it just, I don't know, like, that entire subplot is so inconsequential to this film and, and the ultimate place it ends up. But they mine it so well for laughs and comedic purposes that I just... I really thought I was going to hate that decision, because but I, I ended up loving it so much, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg. I think it's incredibly funny and uh, very sweet in its own trashy, discombobulated way, and I, I really enjoyed it. It's, I believe, a it is a Spirit Awards nominee this year for the John Cassavetes Award, which is film made on a budget of under $500,000 and it is worth a watch if you have a chance. I think it is on Amazon right now. If you have a Prime membership, you can watch it for free. So I recommend it. It's short, it's quick and easy. If you're not into it in like the first 10-15 minutes, you're probably not going to be into it the whole way. So I would just say it doesn't really change its tone. But I had a great time. I really liked Never Going Back, uh, which is my number six that I film I saw in January. Uh, I gave it a 76, and uh, that's it. That's my number six. Number five is a film I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Uh, I saw it January 12th this year. Uh, it's just shy of two hours, 116 minutes. It's a 2018 film. It is nominated for multiple Academy Awards. Uh, three, in fact, including Supporting Actress, Adapted Screenplay, and Original Score. It is um, my summary. A young woman in Harlem embraces her pregnancy while her fiancé is behind bars. I gave this film a 78. It has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. The last I looked, it is directed by Barry Jenkins. It stars Kiki Lane, Stephen James, Regina King, Tayona Paris, Coleman Domingo, Ethan Barrett, Milani Mines, Ebony Obsidian, Michael Beach, Diego Luna, Ed Screen, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, Dave Franco, Marsha Jean Kurtz, Pedro Pascal, tons of people, tons of people, and more. And that's If Beale Street Could Talk. I'm a big fan of Moonlight. I really uh, enjoyed Moonlight. It was not my pick for the best picture uh, a few years ago, but I am far happier with its win rather as opposed to La La Land. And I was looking forward to If Beale Street Could Talk. I, I never expected it to be as good as Moonlight, and for me it wasn't. Uh, but it is a very, very good film made by an incredibly talented filmmaker in Barry Jenkins. Uh, Kiki Lane and Stephen James are two people I could not have, have picked out of a lineup prior to If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited that at least, I know Kiki Lane is getting uh, more work, and I've seen she's been signed on to a couple of new films. Uh, Stephen James, I believe, has been finding new roles as well, and that makes me incredibly happy. 
and it, it just it's it's a a lovely story and and a kind of a roller coaster of a film there are moments where this movie is so fast that you blink and you miss it uh, there are some scenes that have such high kinetic energy. I, I would look at um, the scene with Brian Tyree Henry's character, uh, the entire uh, scene where the two families of James and, and Lane's families uh, meet early on in the film. Those moments just speed by, and I, I loved them so much. And then there are moments where... Everything slows down, grinds to a halt, and uh, I would I would point out uh, Dave Franco's scene worked that way for me, or uh, the first time Fanny and Tish, um, you know, spend intimate time together, and I, I I've thought on these that disparity a lot since seeing the film. I think there are good and, and, and bad reasons for structuring your a film like this. And I think Beale Street tips towards the good side more often than not. But I I still think I don't know. I, I wish I, I wish there was a little more of the um kinetic side of things when it was all said and done. There are so many languishing, lingering shots in the film, and I think ultimately they end up overwhelming the the film in terms of tone and and in terms of pacing uh, to a mild, mild detriment. Uh, I, I think like that is the probably the thing I would point to as the biggest reason for why I didn't love this as much as I loved Moonlight, but. That said, uh, there are just so many beautiful, beautiful scenes. Uh, everyone in this cast is fantastic. And even someone like Dave Franco, who came out of nowhere, I had no idea who was in this movie. And, and for a second, I was taken out of it. And then his scene plays out, and it was actually very sweet and very gentle and very nice. And I, I was completely on board with it. So, I really enjoyed If Beale Street Could Talk, but it did give me a little bit of whiplash between super fast scene, super slow scene, super fast scene, super slow scene. And, you know, when you're on a roller coaster, you get that initial chunk, 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 up to the first top of the hill. And,. You really don't get another one of those in a roller coaster. And not that a film needs to be a roller coaster by any stretch of the imagination. And, and many films are all slow. Many films are lots of slow. And, and, and they do that really well. And Beale Street Could Talk does a great job with its slow scenes in terms of pace. But I think it was a little too much. I, I wish it would have hedged a little more uh, in favor of um, the faster paced scenes. But... I had a great time, and there's some absolutely brilliant moments in this film. So, that's If Bill Street Could Talk. I gave it a 78, and it is my fifth best film that I saw in January. 
Number four is, uh, in my opinion, a snub of the Academy. Uh, this was this is a short film. I saw it January seventh. It's a twenty eighteen film. Uh, my summary: A young girl is responsible for her younger siblings. Uh, I gave this an eighty one. It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Logan George and Celine Held, starring Caroline Falk, Brooks Falk, Sally Falk, Celine Held, Tam Jackson, and Harold Presley. It follows uh, the, a young girl named Caroline, which is the name of the film, Caroline. I thought this should not only be nominated, but likely win Best Live Action Short. It did not get the nomination, and that was uh, unfortunate because I, I thought it was really strong, a very, very strong film. And Caroline uh, in the film is only six, and uh, her mom is trying to find a babysitter, plans don't work out, and so due to um, un unfortunate circumstances, she is forced to look after her two little, little siblings, uh, Brooks and Sally. And... That in and of itself isn't the worst scenario ever, uh, but it's compounded by the fact that they are stuck in a car uh, with initially the windows up. It is also compounded by the fact that it isn't blazingly hot outside, uh, another uh, problem. And things only get more complicated when passers-by notice that these kids are left alone in this car on a very, very hot day with the windows up. So it, it really does <clears throat> it really does put you, the viewer, in a pretty frustrating situation because you see the mother, you know she absolutely cares about these kids and wants the best for them, and it's just this one instance she has something she needs to do and her her initial plans did not um, did not work out in in order to um, protect them and to keep them safe. And yet, also, it's it it, it pushes on the other side as a, a question of well, maybe you know maybe maybe she didn't. Maybe she should have, you know, planned better. And, 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 you know, is this an excusable or an inexcusable action? It's tough. It's tough. It's a tough dilemma. And I think the film does a good job of, of attacking both sides of it pretty handily. And I, I really enjoyed, you know, it's a short film. It's 11 minutes. It may still be online. Somewhere I saw it online. It does feel it has a Florida Project feel to it. If you were a fan of Florida Project, I think this is a very similar style. And Caroline Falk is is brilliant as the six year old Caroline in this film. I loved her in this. I thought she did an absolutely great job. So that's my number five. Nope, it's my number four. Uh, Caroline, twenty eighteen. I gave it an eighty one. Number three uh, is another older film. This one we go back to 1993. I saw this January 31st, just under the wire. Uh, it's 90, about an hour and a half long. My summary, a new baby enters the titular family. Uh, I gave this an 81 as well. It has a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
and that is Adam's Family Values. I watched the first Adam's Family many years ago, a few years ago, and it wasn't until now that I watched the sequel. Uh, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, starring Raul Julia, Angelica Houston, Christopher Lloyd, Christina Ricci, Joan Cusack, Carol Struyken, Harriet Sansom Harris, Julie Halston, Carol Kane, Barry Sonnenfeld, uh, Peter McNichol, Christine Baranski, Sam McMurray, Nathan Lane, David Hyde Pierce, Tony Shalhoub, Cynthia Nixon, David Krumholtz, uh, and, and many others. Uh, huge cast, absolutely insane cast. Barry Sonnenfeld, director of Men in Black, two, 2 and 3 as well. Uh, both Adam's Family movies, Wild Wild West, um, and many others. I love the first Adam's Family. And I remember thinking uh, when I watched the first one that I, I couldn't or I couldn't remember whether or not I remember um, the f- second the sequel was better or worse from a critical, you know, audience standpoint. And uh, at least on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the the sequel is better, higher reviewed. And watching it, I totally understand. It's it's a type of cast, film, story, whatever, where the deeper you get into the characters, the more fun, the more exciting it is. You know, I liken it to maybe something like Friends, the show, where. You know, the more seasons they get on the actors get under their belts, uh, the more fluid and and the more um, just just inherently inherent the 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 act, the characters become. You know, you compare season one Rachel to season ten Rachel or Ross or or Monica or or whoever, and they just understand the characters so much better by season ten. Uh, you know, you would expect after so much time spent as this other person that, you know, by season 10, the writers could just say, okay, uh, uh, Chandler and Joey just, I don't know, they, they go to a baseball game and one of them gets hit with a baseball, go. And then an entire episode could spring out of that because all the characters are so finely tuned by then that they could just create a scene, a, a, an entire episode you know, around that one situation, and then title it the one where, you know, Joey gets hit with a baseball, whatever. So, Adam's Family Values, film far different than TV shows, you know, they got far less time, this is only the second Adam's Family film, but it just, on top of all these actors really, really knowing who they are and and where they fit in this world... I think Barry Sonnenfeld understands better, too. I think he figured out, you know, what aspects of these characters are, are worth paying attention to. Uh, it, it, it gets the... Christina Ricci got the Johnny Depp treatment from Pirates of the Caribbean, where this sequel has a lot more Wednesday in it. And just like the Pirates sequels, you know, Jack Sparrow became far more of a main character. And... It didn't work in Pirates because the issue there being that Jack Sparrow was the crazy character in a war in a film with relatively normal characters. Otherwise, whereas in the Adams Family, Wednesday is most definitely a crazy character, but so is everyone else in that family, and 
include including outside of the family. Everyone in this film is crazy. And so by elevating her a little more in the sequel, you don't it doesn't seem as out of place because you're not spending more time in a crazy person's world than you normally would be because every single scene is crazy. And I mean, I I love Wednesday. Wednesday is amazing. Joan Cusack enters this film. Uh, She was not in the first one. She's great. I loved her in this. Uh, We got to spend a lot more time with Christopher Lloyd than in the first one with Uncle Fester, and he does a great job. Uh, But I don't know. I just, I had such, I have such a good time with this film and and with these characters, and they're making a reboot of it. I, I think that's what it is, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope they do. Even a comparable job would be fine for me. So that's Adam's Family Values. My number three this month. I gave it an 81. Number two. Mm, number two. This is a documentary. I saw it January 5th, 2019. It's two hours long. It's a 2018 film. My summary, The Dark Underbelly of Animal agriculture. I gave this film an 82. It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. And this film is called Dominion. It is directed by Chris Delforce. And uh, it features narration by Rooney Mara, Joaquin Phoenix, Sia, uh, Chris Delforce himself, Catherine von Drakenberg, and Sadie Sink. And... Most, most of the footage from the film, is, I assume all of the footage from the film, uh, pertains to uh, Australia as opposed to the United States. And it's pretty damning. Oh boy, it is, it is not pulling any punches. The film uses drone shots, hidden and handheld cameras to explore what really happens uh, to animals that are turned into food in in any fashion. Uh, Cows, rabbits, chicken, pigs, uh, and and so on. The, the, The list goes on and on. The film is broken up into parts, each part uh, showcasing a different animal. So, because none of them are really treated exactly the same. And I've seen documentaries like this before. I've seen multiple documentaries that advocate to be vegan or vegetarian that show how animals are treated impossibly poorly by, by everyone involved and even show that in some instances. I've seen a lot of stats and figures and... And yet, after all those previous films, you know, I came out the other side and I felt awful, I felt ashamed, I felt bad, you know, it worked, it guilt-tripped me, uh, but I, I just, if I weren't such a picky eater already, where at, with, with, you know, meat making up a, a large portion of my, my, my diet and what I can eat, I would be happy. I would have been happy to to make the change to being vegetarian. And then I saw Dominion, 
And it put all of those other documentaries to shame, in my opinion. Uh, the stats, the figures, that's largely uh, the same here as it is in other documentaries. But the footage is... impossibly 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 dark and terrifying it it is unbelievably painful to watch i oh man there are it's all footage uh from inside the farms inside all these plants processing uh, and there's not I, I, you know I, I could not possibly do justice to what you can you see in this film uh, with just talking about it but suffice to say uh, I, I'm I'm in the process currently this year actually of tracking, uh, a variety of metrics uh, throughout the year on a daily basis, uh, including the number of movies I see, how many times I go to the grocery store um, as part of a side venture, I suppose is, is an apt way to describe it, um, with Zach of the Cinerealist. One of those things is crying. How often, how many times you cry. And uh, I ended up logging, I believe, looking at the list here 13 I tallied 13 times uh, in the month of January uh, which I don't know like that's a lot of days without crying which is great you know but I watched this movie on the 5th of January and uh, I cried six times watching this movie it it, it, it just beats you down over and over and over. And I, I, I don't know, you know, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's not going to work on everybody. You know, it, it, that, that, um, the, the thing that movies put at the end of them, you know, you know, no animals were harmed during the making of this film. Dominion ends, uh, or maybe it starts with the the line, "All animals were harmed during the making of this movie," and I I could not. It was a struggle to watch this movie. I was looking away a lot of it. You know, the the footage is so so. Things that we have have sentenced people to death for doing to other humans are being done to animals without any repercussions. There are, there are footage of, of people smiling, laughing, cheering uh, as they torture live animals. Uh, and, and what... God, one of the things that strikes me the most is they have these huge warehouses, these huge conveyors of, of processes. And 
the idea being that the animal goes through all these things and it comes out as, you know, either meat or ready to become meat or whatever it turns into. And that's already, already on a level of, of terrifying and, and awful. But most of these systems have a point where the animal is supposed to die. But many times, and more often than should ever be possible, they don't. A lot of the times, the thing that's supposed to kill them doesn't. Which means they are already awake for the first third or half or whatever it is of this system where something gets cut off. Or, or stripped off of their body, or, or whatever. And then the thing that's supposed to kill them doesn't. And so the living animal potentially dangling upside down, being, being uh, 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 suspended in the air, held only by one leg, is still alive. And are there, are there measures put in place for, for the humans involved in this process to finish, to, to put them down? No. No. It's, I, uh, not being in a position where I can, can just throw away food um after seeing dominion i i i finished the rest of the meat that i had already owned purchased that was in my freezer and fridge and uh, i haven't had any since and it's not easy it's it's very difficult. I eat the same, you know, four or five things, you know, every other day because I don't have a lot of options um, with what I'm what I what I'm comfortable eating. Uh, but but it's it's a hell of a lot better than contributing to this. You know, this isn't a film you, you you look forward to watching. This is something you endure. You know, it doesn't get any easier after the first five minutes. It does not get any easier, you know, just because, you know, you, you can try to tell yourself, yeah, but what about mice? What about pigs? Surely they're not as, no, they are. There is no discrimination uh, against any species that, that allows them to be treated any better. It's not... It's on YouTube. It's free to watch. And I, I love that. I love that so much because 
it 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 reinforces the notion that Chris Delforce, who made this documentary, just wants people to see it. He just wants people to know. He does not care about uh, making any money off of this. He does not care about that. He wants to. He wants it to be public knowledge. And not just, I think all of us at some level know animals are mistreated in, in, in a processing plant. Even, you know, the most free-range, grass-fed whatever, I, I, you know, is is still not great. But you, you can't possibly be prepared for everything you see in Dominion. It, it is not possible. So, uh, that's my number two, Dominion. I gave it an 82. And it's my number two film um, from January 2019. My number one, it, I saw January 8th, 2019. It's just shy of two hours long. It's a 2018 film. It is nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars this year. My summary, a poor family invites a young girl into their lives. My rating is an 88. It has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Hirokazu Koreeda, who has also directed... Like Father, Like Son, which is the only other film of his I've seen. And I wasn't particularly high on Like Father, Like Son. Uh, but uh, Shoplifters. Uh, and I've already talked about it. I did an entire episode about it. Uh, so I, I'll be fairly quick. Shoplifters is a, a sweet, charming film with a beautiful family that is barely making enough uh, to survive, you know, after you factor in, you know, the petty crime that they commit, and, um, it's just such a, a sweet movie, I, I compared it to, I compared Capernaum to Shoplifters in a sense, and I stick by that, I think the, 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 uh, Zane, Tigrist uh, relationship is very similar to the entire family in Shoplifters. And seeing that this entire family unit care about each other, choose who they want to be with as a family, and, and, and choose who they want to have a bond with is, uh, is nice. It's so beautiful. And it, it really makes you want I don't know, it makes you wish that everyone had the opportunity to, you know, truly choose who their family was. Because a lot of people that do, or that don't, rather, uh, end up with a family they don't, in, don't like. And not even the majority of people, but enough that it, it, 
it's it's not you know it's it's not nothing and it's a really 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 great movie i liked it quite a bit and uh, i liked all the characters all the performances everything about it is is so much fun and so much so enjoyable and uh yeah shoplifters that is my number one i gave it an 88 i will run down my top 10 from this month uh from january one more time starting with number 10 late afternoon fav the stranger 303 never going back if beale street could talk caroline adam's family values dominion and shoplifters Thank you for listening to today's episode. I do appreciate it. Uh, if you would like to find more episodes, you can find them most places podcasts can be found, including iTunes, uh, or you can head over to circleoffilm.com uh, to find out more episodes and a lot more uh, on that site. You can get in touch with me for any reason at all. Circleoffilm at gmail.com through email, at circleoffilm on Twitter, circleoffilm on Letterboxd, uh, or you can support the show, and you can support the show for as little as eight cents an episode, Patreon.com/CircleOfFilm, or you can uh, just like and review on iTunes because you know that is just as helpful. Thank you one far more time for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell. I'll be the same goodnight. I know. She'll never leave me Even as she fades from view So long, farewell I'll be to say adieu Nothing's really left Or lost without a trace Nothing's gone forever Only out of place So long, farewell Oh, what I'll be to say Wait a minute Wait a minute, Wait a minute. So long